you have your Bibles, I would like to invite you to take them and turn with me to Romans chapter 9 as we continue on in our series throughout this incredible book. The Apostle Paul has written, the time for truth is now looking at and navigating our way through some tough theological doctrinal truths that are most important for us. Thank you, Pastor Stewart. I thought Pop-Pop and his grandkids had the world's largest Lego tower, but apparently we have not had that. Welcome every single one of you here this morning. Um, I think of some special guests. I want to be careful with Bill and Kitty Mary. Some of you know Pastor Bill and Kitty. Um, They are here somewhere, and we welcome them. There they are in the back. Uh, Bill and Kitty, who were foundational in the history that the Lord used to build the foundation of Bigwoods Bible Church a number of years ago, and we are forever indebted. And we thank you for your love for the Lord and your love for people that is so, so evident. It, it seems as, at some level, just the, the, the events of the past week and the anticipation of the week to come, that at some level we get a little just scattered, like we're all over the place. Even this morning, at some level, there's like... <gasps> and and this, is, this is in God's sovereign plan, His will for us to be here together, to have this text opened up before us. And these are the times, um, and my prayer this morning is very simple and single, that our appreciation and our love... And our adoration, A, for the Lord and for his word, would increase. In a world that just constantly is shifting and moving, the foundation of rock-solid trust in our sovereign Lord and in his word for us needs to increase, needs to increase, needs to increase. And that is my prayer. That's, That's what I trust and we hope will happen in our time together. Before we go any further, I need the Lord's help as I desperately, constantly, always do. Let's bow our heads and pray as we seek the Lord's work in our lives this morning. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for who you are. We're amazed that because of Jesus, we we have full access. We are ushered into your throne room. And as your children, your sons and daughters, we thank you for being Abba Father. Father, we thank you for um, even some of the heaviness, but we thank you, Lord, for the events of the past days. We just continue to lift up the Gaunt family, Linnell specifically. We just thank you for the faithful example of Jay Gaunt. And I pray, Lord, that we would, with your help, seek to follow in his footsteps. Lord, my heart goes out to the Valerio family. At this time, as, as Susan's mom is near to meeting her Savior, but we rejoice that there's hope. I pray, Lord, as well for individuals that are here this morning just with heavy hearts, sadness, or, or Lord, at some level, a troubled heart because of concerns or fears or worries. 
Our prayer together is that we would would see you and we would hear your word, that your spirit would descend upon us and work, go to work within our souls. Speak to our hearts, Lord. May your spirit give us a hunger and a longing, a desire for our eyes to be open to see. And please, Lord, open our ears to hear. Lord, I I just personally just pray for help. Please guide me. Be with my mind and my mouth. May everything that is said and done be for your glory. Father, I pray as well that for anyone who is listening to this message that does not know you, has not accepted you as their Savior, that today would be the day of salvation, that you would speak, that they would hear, and they would be drawn into your family. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just get it out right away. A lot of you stayed up to after 11 o'clock to watch the Penn State game last night. I know that. I know that. See, I can read a room. I can read an audience. And a lot of you stayed up way too late last night. It was worth it, I will say. But now we focus. This is the Lord's day. Book of Romans, so far we have looked at what half of it, eight solid chapters. In a sense, we we talk about the what of salvation. We have to kind of recalibrate, review. This is heavy stuff. We talked about big Bible words. That's what Pastor Stewart would use, big Bible words. Justification. We are declared righteous in the sight of a holy God because of the work of Jesus. We put our faith in Jesus. Sanctification, the ongoing present work right now. Praise God for the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, setting us apart towards holiness. Glorification. One day, one day, we will be made whole and we will be totally, totally holy. Now, Romans 8, if you recall, ended with a beautiful depiction of God's unending, immeasurable love. Nothing will ever separate you. And, and we come to the end of 8, and there's cheering and loud applause. This is amazing truth. And then we transition from the what of salvation, the first eight chapters, to chapter 9, and there's a total different tone. It, it, it begins to speak of the who. Who does this apply to? Who enjoys this? And all of a sudden, the cheering silences. A lot of people struggle. A lot of people do not like Romans chapter 9. Because we realize what? Universalism does not exist. You know, I talked about there's a universalism creep. Like at some level, everybody's just going to kind of be ushered into the... That's not what we see in the truth of Scripture. That's not the gospel. It actually what? It actually says it narrow is the way. And so people wrestle with this, like the whole doctrine of hell, like that just can't be. And so we work our way around it, but, but not if we're going to hold on to the full truth. Romans chapter 9 is one of the most difficult doctrines, and it begins to explain the, 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 the doctrine of election. It's a hard doctrine to accept. God's sovereign choice. And I read what? There's a built-in resistance to the sovereignty of God's grace. Why? Because it moves you and I out of the driver's seat. 
One theologian said, I have to embrace this doctrine even though I don't have to like it. But as I was reminded last week by one of our young budding theologians, we have some great, keen, young minds in this church. We're talking afterward. He said, Pastor Tim, isn't it true that you really cannot have the beauty of of God's immeasurable, unending love in in chapter 8 without the full truth of a promised plan? In chapter 9, that is perfectly true, perfectly accurate. Last week we saw what Paul, after lamenting the fact that his own family members, his own kinsmen was the term, his own Jewish brothers and sisters who have been giving blessing after blessing after blessing have rejected the Messiah and he aches for them. Tears are streaming down his cheeks. He longs. He actually even says what? He, 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 he laments to the point of even wishing if I could be anathema, if I could be damned to hell, if I could be cursed so that you would go to heaven, I would do it. And we're quickly confronted with the fact of how unspiritual we are. That's not my prayer oftentimes. I'll offer a lot of things. I'm not going to offer you my salvation and Paul knows, he's speaking hyperbolically, but, but there's, there's a picture of love, of, of an example of weeping and praying for the lost with such deep sorrow. We pick it up now in verse 6. We're, we're not going to be able to examine it all today, but the text will be in front of you. I'm reading from the ESV. I'll read down through verse 13, the word of the Lord. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Not all the children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather, Isaac. Though they were not yet born, and he had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau, I hate it. You understand why people have a hard time with this text. On a personal as I'm a little brother, and I know there's other little brothers and sisters, as a little brother, I... I, I at some level, kind of seem gleefully excited because of this. And I know that's just my nature and the placement of blessing here. I reminded my big brother that I was preaching on this text this week just so he knew. Thankfully, what is happening here, the author is, and, and, and with great appreciation, he is intentionally and he is incredibly clear with the big idea of this text right out of the gate. 
First, right, it is not as though the word of God has failed. Literally, it translates, it is not as though the word of God has fallen away. Which means what? As our prayer is to gain a greater appreciation for the Lord and his word, let me remind you of this. God is always good to his word. God is always good to his word. Always was, always will be. God keeps his promises. You know, you're like, there. I'll, I'll be there at 6.30. Don't worry about it. I'll be there at 6.30. And then you're like, oh, shoot. No, that doesn't happen. God is always good to his word. First Corinthians chapter, excuse me, first Kings chapter 8, verse 56. But not one word has failed of all of his good promises. Not one word. Psalm chapter 33, verse 4. For the word of the Lord is upright and all of his work is done in faithfulness. And, and this, this is important to know first and foremost because of what follows. It's the next statement. Here it is. Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. Now, now, understandably, when you read and you hear and you study the word of God, you hear a phrase like that and things can get pretty blurry pretty quick. Israel, but not really Israel. Children, but not really children. Like, what, what exactly, like, what does this mean? I've oftentimes told you as a pastor, my job simply is to take this word, this word, and to break it down so that A, you can understand it, and thus what? Expand your faith. The second part of my responsibility is what? To, to take this word, to take it apart so you can apply it. Thus deepen your faith. But to explain this in other words, we could say that Israel, and we saw this last week, whom belong the adoption. Think of the blessing after blessing after blessing. Glory has been given, the covenants, the law, the promises, the patriarchs. Yet, they were never promised that every single Israelite, they were never promised that every single Jewish person would be saved. Some of you are like, stop, wait. I know what's ahead. Some of you who are students of the word, wait a minute, Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 10, Matt actually even read Romans chapter 11 this morning. And if we begin to process, isn't there something, isn't there somewhere in scripture that says that all, all Israel will be saved? Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, specifically in verse 26, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. Contradiction in scripture. No, 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 we look at all of Scripture. Many would automatically mean, well, that reference there to Israel must include all who have ever placed their faith, all who believe. But, but it's, not, it's not a reference to the church and Israel because they're distinct. We do not believe in what is called replacement theology. The church does not replace Israel. It most likely, this word here, literally, all, is probably not literally 
all. Rather, it's a large number. It perhaps even speaks of a majority. This would mean what? At some level, despite we know what's going on around the world, at some point, I think it speaks of a future mass conversion. Remember the book of Revelation? There's 144,000 and they are preaching and what happens? There is a tremendous Revival, the preaching of the two witnesses, Revelation 7, Revelation 11, Revelation 14. They speak, those verses, those chapters speak about what? Hordes and multitudes of people come and accept Jesus as the Messiah. But but the point that Paul makes is this. It is fact. Some, matter of fact, many, we could even say most Jews have chosen at this point to reject Jesus as the promised Messiah. And this does not contradict God's word or God's promises at all. The question inevitably is what? It leads us, but wait a minute. Isn't Israel like kind of key here? Like isn't Israel important? Yes, yes. The entire Old Testament speaks and points to the fact that what? Of, of, of the Jewish redemption of Israel being redeemed and rescued from slavery. And there's been a promise that this nation is going to be a blessing to the entire world. Aren't they, like, aren't they kind of important? Better believe it. And yet, if you look back, it seems like every single turn, it is destruction upon destruction upon destruction upon destruction with these dear people. Historically, what? Conquered by the Assyrians in 722. They're conquered by the Babylonians in 586. They're conquered by the Persians in 539 B.C., by the Romans in 70 A.D. For the next 1,500 years, there's just constant battles, years, between the Crusaders and the Muslims fought and exchanging control multiple times. Just add the atrocities. Just think in the 20th century of, of, of what the Jewish people suffered in the Holocaust. Until what? Until finally. It doesn't even seem that long ago. We read about this. In 1948, finally, this state, this nation of Israel is established. And even from then, it wasn't until June of 1967, the Six-Day War, that for the first time in almost two millennia, that the Jewish people actually had control of the holy places in Jerusalem. 2,000 years of just constant turmoil. And that's what? That's historically. Think about religiously. How do we place this like, group of people? How do we understand them? In the land, in the place, amongst the people of God's own promise to them. And yet we know today very, very few Jews acknowledge Jesus Christ as their Messiah. As a matter of fact, the overwhelming majority of Jewish people today would conclude that our belief in biblical Christianity is nothing more than an actual perversion of the truth, of the true God-given Judaism. Why? Because we don't live under the law. It supersedes Old Testament covenant of Moses. And it also opens the door for everyone. For us Gentiles to come directly to God. 
So like why, like why this, why, why is Israel important here? Why, why is Paul mentioning this? What does it even matter? Like I was up really late last night. Like what does this have to do with us today? Just stick with me on this. Now we know that there's multiple views and interpretations and theologians love to debate this stuff. I don't want to confuse you, but I do just hold on tight here. Just for, this is important. And we'll get to why this is important. Different views here on like what's going to happen. What's, what's the place? First of all, there's what's referred to as a non-typological. Which means that Israel is not a type. It means literally, literally ethnic Israel has is going to have a future mass conversion view that's promised future salvation and a specific role at some level for Israel. Another, another view would be a typological, which means Israel is just a type future mass conversion view, a promised future salvation, but not for the nation Israel. Rather, they play a typological role with some kind of special distinction or status. The third prominent view is the typological non-future mass conversion, which means basically what? There's really not a lot of hope there. It does not promise future salvation or any role for Israel. Now, why do I say all of that? It's important to, to be accurate, but let's not get bogged down in confusion. Rather, examine the reason that Paul seeks to clarify the, the place that Israel has in the present church age. And to begin with, he uses this section, verses 6 through 13, to declare something. That Israel's unbelief is what is totally consistent with God's perfect and promised plan. And that God's control of history is irrefutable evidence of his sovereignty. And he begins to unpackage this with what? Some names that are familiar to us. And he, at some level, chooses Isaac over Ishmael. Now, we know if we think about Old Testament covenant, there's covenants, promises that are made from God to his people. The Noahic covenant, Abrahamic covenant, Mosaic to Davidic. And, and there's these phrases that God continually reminds this precious group of people, his chosen ones. I will make your name great. I will make you a great nation. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. I will establish your kingdom. Yet we know, we can read this. Kingdom after kingdom after kingdom continually falls here. What is this? What is this? Is that God is establishing, he's making a covenant. Specifically when he makes one with David, he clarifies it in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And he says this, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Wait a minute, there's been a lot of kingdoms that have collapsed. David himself is no longer here. Kingdom after kingdom has collapsed. And yet, what? At some level, the throne of his kingdom is forever. It, it is, it's not speaking of the type of kingdom with armies and soldiers and kings. It's not a human kingdom. 
Jeremiah chapter 23 says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called the Lord is our righteousness which means what the promise of an eternal kingdom is pointing directly to the promise of an eternal king Luke chapter 1 remember this christmas time and the angel gabriel speaks to mary Listen very carefully to what the angel says. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. All of these promises... What do they do for us today? They actually should strengthen our faith in his word. All of these promises actually should increase the joy. Even in a world that's like constantly shifting and moving. It's, it's these promises that we go to for hope. Because they all point to the fact that God uses what? All of his knowledge. All of his power. For our good. For your good. Big Bible words. Justification, sanctification, glorification. All of them happen because of Jesus. Now to make his point, Paul uses an illustration. That I think in all honesty, everyone, if, if you are in the least bit familiar with scripture. That everyone is going to understand. Not all the children of Abraham, not all our children of Abraham because of his offspring, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. It's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise. Now, we kind of have to go back here. Let's go quick review. Remember Sunday school lessons? This is the importance of teaching our children. Return to way back, and, and there's a man whose name is Abraham. And we know that he is the father of Israel. Father Abraham has many sons. Many sons has father Abraham. Remember, now it's coming back to us. Late night, last night. You remember this. And he's given a promise that you are going to be the father of a great nation. Matter of fact, he is told by the word of the Lord, go out, look at the stars. And, and more than the, the, the number of the stars will be your offspring. But there's a problem here. Abraham and his wife Sarah are like way beyond baby time. And it wasn't like the baby stroller and the bassinet had been sold at the garage sale. Okay, There never was a bassinet. There never was a, a baby stroller. Why? Because Sarah's womb was empty. And yet, this is the way God works. He always shocks us. And he always surprises us. 
So, so Abraham hears this promise. You are going to be the father of a great nation. And he's so excited about this, but he knows that there's a little bit of a situation here because his wife is really old. So what does a typical guy do? I can solve the problem. I got an idea. And between he and his wife, Sarah, what? We know that another woman. That, that, that a promise is given, and yet man kind of goes around and says, oh, so this is what's going to happen, and I'll make it happen. So Abraham gets Sarah's handmaiden pregnant. And Hagar has a baby, and they name him Ishmael. In a sense, God is saying, no, 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 Abraham. The same way that God tells us, no, you don't go at your root. I gave you my word and I gave you my promise. And it's your Sarah. By this time next year, is going to have a little one. And what happens? About nine months, what I'm guessing miracle yet jack hebrew for isaac and and i love this the name isaac and some of you know this the name isaac means what one who laughs one who rejoices in a sense what we we laugh at the efforts that we have to try to make god's will happen what we want for our lives god laughs at that just as God promised. When God promises what? When God promises us anything in his word. I want to tell you this. Regardless of how dark it looks. Regardless of how scary it looks. You can rest. You, you can just rest. You can breathe deep. And you can trust. And you can know. You can be certain. And it was what? It was through Abraham to Isaac, to Jacob, that the nation Israel, God's chosen people were born. Which means what? The, the means by which God chose to bless the world through the promised Messiah. That the group of people that he chose for the promised Messiah to come through, that they were used for the ultimate blessing. They were not the blessing themselves. Which is a great reminder for every single one of us. You see, Israel has still got stuck on the fact that it must be us. We must be. And I think we do exactly the same thing. That we think at some level, God's sovereign plan is relying upon you and me. And we know it's not about us not about you in spite of ourselves we are gifted by God's grace his mercies that are new every day just to be faithful with a little bit to have what to do a little smidgen to work for his glory in his kingdom but the focus is not on about us probably can't happen if I'm not there that is a lie from the pit of hell itself 
This, this is a great reminder for all of us. Don't stand in the way of what God wants to do. Don't come up with your own plan in order to make it happen. It's all about Jesus. Tony Morita says this, It is important to keep in mind that God's promise to Abraham was for all the earth to be blessed. Eventually, through this line, through this promise, the ultimate offspring would come, Christ. It all points to the Messiah. It's not about the means to the blessing. It's about the blessing itself. Perfect illustration is tofu. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. What is that? You ever have tofu in, 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 your, in your pad thai? And like it's these like little cubes. Like, and it's like perfectly shaped cubes of mush. And you're like, what is that? That is not a shrimp. That is not a piece of chicken. That is nothing. Like, what are you even doing there? And the tofu, for some reason, thinks, because it just absorbs stuff around it, that it's pretty special. Tofu is not special. Sorry. I know it's the worst illustration I've ever had in my entire life. I couldn't get tofu out of my mind. Because in a sense, what? That's really what's happening. If it's the nation, if it's us, we think. But it's not us. We just point to the real thing. We have to see and hear and learn this morning is that throughout all the Old Testament covenants, promise after promise, we see a clear view 